0: What's going on everyone? Michael Barr here with Bar Time Anytime and welcome to our first podcast. Um, happy December. It's Monday, December 3rd. Hope everyone's having a great day thus far and it enjoys the podcast. So I want to kind of talk about what this podcast is going to entail. And it's subject to change moving forward, but my initial thoughts are um, I think majority of my crowd revolves around Detroit sports and people uh, have interest in What I have to say and my opinions about it, specifically the Pistons and Spartan Basketball, MSU Spartan Basketball. So that's what I'm looking to focus this podcast on, as well as my journalism uh, on my site. That site is com slash bar time anytime. I'll be posting that on all my social channels, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at bar time anytime. B-A-R-R, bar time, anytime. And I look forward to seeing your guys' contributions on my social channels as well as just reaching out and as well as word of of mouth. I'm really trying to get my content out there, uh, both in sports journalism and photography. That being said, I'm looking for people to kind of join my vision and my team uh, to expand the world of sports journalism and photography. The reason I'm doing this is because I believe that Lots of kids, when they grow up, everyone has a dream, not everyone, but a lot of my buddies and I had the dream of, you know, you want to play professional sports one day and then get to that point in your life where you realize it's not really a reality anymore. Um, But, you know, and then you're forced down the well of, well, how, what profession am I going to go into? Because at this day and age, there's not really too many options for kids that didn't make it in sports the full on way. Um, So they have to kind of, you know, do things to help make them money. Um, and you know, there's not a lot of, um, avenues for, you know, millennials specifically that are interested in sports that can make a career out of it. So my big thought is this is the start of what I'm calling a sports journalism and photography company for millennials, where I'll be pulling together talent, um, with people that are interested in writing articles for my site. Um, which will also give them exposure uh, for people to reach out to as well. So this is kind of like a social networking slash content site that I think could benefit uh, all of us as we work together as a joint team to put out great content and um, you know, really reach the audience that we're looking for, which is people around our age, and hopefully it can expand even further. Uh, so please uh, let me know if you have my number. Uh, you can feel free to text or call me. Uh, as well as reach out to me on my social channels. I'd love to get this thing booming sooner than later. So that all being said, thanks for tuning in. This will be uh, our first episode, so really excited to you know hear all the listeners out there. And um, I think that throughout the years, I've been kind of a source of sports uh, opinion and sports kind of guruism uh, per se of um, you know Spartan basketball specifically. Uh, The reason for this is I've been an MSU fan since the day I was born. Uh, My parents both went to Michigan State, um, and my dad is huge on sports. I grew up, I played baseball, I was a pitcher my whole life. Uh, As my dad was, my dad attended Birmingham Groves, where he was a Southpaw pitcher for them and was highly successful, and I think all he really wanted was his kid to continue his his success. uh, Unfortunately, I came up a little bit short in that regard and shifted my uh, talents and uh, athleticism to basketball, uh, where uh, I played in high school as well as uh, played a little bit in college, uh, not varsity level, but just uh, for fun and in leagues in college. Um, And then post-graduation, I played a lot in the summers with uh, even some NBA guys over at Lifetime Troy, Michigan. And From there, I moved out to uh, Los Angeles, and I played uh, down at Venice Beach almost every other day, as well as a Beverly Hills basketball league uh, at the Jewish Community Center on Mondays and Fridays. So I've definitely kept up with the sports personally, and then, you know, how it turns into a business side of it is, you know, my um, interest in sports, both playing it myself, um, as well as following MSU basketball in Detroit, Pistons, uh, you know, it just kind of gives me this lifestyle and culture that, you know, sports is. I live, breathe and will die covering and playing sports. It's truly my passion. Uh, I've been stuck underneath this kind of umbrella uh, where I wasn't able to expand my thoughts and really do what I wanted with my time in corporate America. Um, I understand there's a paycheck to get And most of you are probably wondering, well, what the hell is he doing at this time now? Well, this is part of it. This is the beginning of it. I hope to be a pioneer in the sports marketing, journalism, photography world for people my age who want to use this and pursue this as a career and where it can actually be realistic and you're not, you know, um, signing up for a crappy marketing job with a small sports company and it ends up being nothing for you. So I think at the end of the day, if we start putting our content together and conglomerate and, you know, really blow this thing up. Um, you know, whether that's people joining my podcasts from, you know, my friends all across the country that can kind of give their digs on their teams and, or whether that's, you know, you at, you know we uh, set up a profile for you on my website, a specific landing page, and we kind of showcase your work, at, whether it be sports journalism and or photography. Uh, I just see a real big vision for this, and I saw a uh, kind of a gray zone or an empty zone in the um, uh, professional world at this time um, for this kind of business So I I hope this thing really works out and I'm going to put all my blood, sweat and tears over, you know, into it because this is truly what I'm passionate about and something I believe I'm really good at. And, you know, it's kind of been my calling, I believe. So um, I decided to uh, step down from my corporate job where um, I was a project manager of strategic software uh, here in downtown Chicago. Um, It just really wasn't for me. Um, It was just kind of, you know not what I wanted to be doing with my nine to five. I understand I was earning a paycheck, but financially I'm able to keep myself steady here where I can build up this business of mine uh, bar time anytime and see where it can take me. Um, In the meantime, I'll be working, um, you know, just kind of hold me over, sort jobs. But if, you know, an opportunity presents itself with the right company, I'd be more than happy to take that up as well. Uh, But continuing to focus on this uh, business of mine moving forward. So that being said, uh, I want to kind of get into the first episode's topic, which is going to be MSU basketball. So, if you followed me here the last few years, I've been a huge critic of Michigan State basketball. Um, you know, a lot to my friends', um, you know, non approval or, you know, not like dislike. Um, but seeing as though I've been following this MSU basketball team since I, you know, I fell asleep on my my dad's friend's couch for the 2000 national title game and uh, where we beat the Florida Gators. Uh, I've been really following this since, you know, the Flintstones up until now. So I've kind of seen the progression and the regression of our um, sports team there in East Lansing. So, um, you know, obviously we know the struggles here over the last couple of years with Michigan State basketball. Uh, I think first and foremost, starting with the Middle Tennessee year, where Middle Tennessee State, Knocked off number one or number two, I believe, Michigan State, but was the heavy favorite by most experts to win the tournament, which we're so sick of hearing because MSU sports in general, I think, plays better with the underdog role as opposed to the spotlight role. So I personally kind of had this, um, you know. Uh, belief before the tournament even started, once I kind of heard all those experts picking us, I thought, man, this is not good. Uh, Did I think that we lose to Middle Tennessee State? Not exactly, but I'm not entirely surprised, uh, believe it or not. Um, It's just, you know, when MSU's put under this spotlight, um, I think they, you know, they don't perform as great as they do when you know, there may be a five or a six seed and they have a little bit more of a chip on their shoulder. I think that kind of uh, pays tribute to the culture and organization in East Lansing across all sports and just the student body in general. There's a, And, you know, just Michigan as a state in general. There's always this kind of blue-collar grind, and I think um, Michigan State performs better under those circumstances. So um, I, was I surprised? Yes, that we lost. Was I completely surprised? No, not really. Um, and I think, you know, it kind of started with coaching. Um, and that's kind of been my biggest uh, criticism of the program here over the last, um, you know, even five years, dating back to when I was a sophomore in college, when Michigan State's starting lineup consisted of Keith Appling, Gary Harris, Denzel Valentine, Brandon Dawson, and Adrian Payne. And to my, to my, um, to my knowledge, that team got knocked out in the Sweet 16 that year. I mean, absolutely no excuse for that kind of lineup, that that team should be knocked out in the Sweet 16 Um, It's just kind of been a buildup here of, um, you know, underperforming by Tom Izzo and company. Um, I don't think you can really blame recruits on that. I mean, I understand you got Duke down there in Durham, North Carolina, who's just getting the best recruits every single year, but they're not exactly winning at all every year too. So I think Izzo's, you know, uh, kind of theme to his coaching is I'll take – uh, you know, three, four star guys, and make a team out of it, and we hope to get the best results. And you know, a five star sprinkled in there every here and there. And you know, last year we saw we had a couple guys who were you know we had Miles Bridges who came back who was sensational his freshman year, and we'll get a little, little bit more into that uh, where I saw the differences in year two his sophomore year. And you know, we had Jaron Jackson Jr. who you know third overall pick in the lottery and putting up, I think it was a 36 points there night, a double overtime win in, in Brooklyn, um, where it was the most points scored by a rookie all year, and he's looking super impressive, and I think that's because his coaches have enabled him to open up his skill set and really utilize it, um, while meanwhile he's sitting on the bench for Syracuse, and we were losing the game. Uh, where he could have been completely utilized at the top of the post for both his shooting and playmaking and driving and finishing abilities. Um, and that's kind of the overall theme I'm seeing here. It's just poor coaching um, poor coaching by Tom Izzo. Um, the talent's there. I just don't think it's being utilized correctly, and I think there's a stubbornness to it. Um, I, spent, I was so frustrated last year by the way that MSU was playing um, that I went back and watched the 2000 National Championship game from start to finish on YouTube. And I encourage all of you to do the same. And you can see how great MSU basketball was. And it started with coaching. Those guys were all fantastic players. But he, his offensive half-court sets, are it's night and day what it used to be then compared to now. Uh, it's just unbelievable what I was seeing in that in that game compared to what I'm seeing now in terms of execution, just flow of the offense, players knowing where to be, when to be, and how to be, and what to do with the ball when they get it, or how to play off the ball, and just how to find themselves. You know, easy opportunities to score, not everything is such a grind and a struggle. And I encourage all of you to go back and watch that game, and you can get a little bit more perspective on where I'm coming from um, with my opinion about Michigan State basketball here lately. And you know, dating back to last year, i'd say the biggest struggle was the uh, the use of our lineups. Um, you saw sophomore year Miles Bridges become a lot more um, i'd say lackadaisical and almost lazy on the offensive uh, end of the ball. I understand that knowing how the power four position has evolved over the years here in the NBA, how players need to. Uh, at the four position in the NBA, need to be able to shoot now. And you know, Miles Bridges had a pretty decent jumper. You know, it was there for him. He could utilize it. But I think the best players, I'm um, in that position at the power four position, the stretch four nowadays in the NBA, I think they're best utilized. For example, like a Blake Griffin, where he knows his strengths are down low, mid range, getting boards, really bullying the opponent, using his size and strength athleticism to his advantage. And then, while well, that sucks in the defense down low, and then he starts expanding the half-court set and starts shooting those threes um, to help out his down low game as opposed to shooting the threes uh, or as opposed to uh, the other way around, which would be shooting threes and then working your way down. I think Blake does a nice job of working his way down and then expanding out to keep the defense honest. And that's the biggest thing I saw with Miles Bridges last year was, for whatever reason, Izzo had him at small forward, which in Michigan State's offensive set, which is three high and one on the, uh, the uh, free throw line, the other guy in the block, the four and the five, you have the three, you have the point guard, the shooting guard, and the small forward pretty much branched out on the top of the perimeter. So that kind of gave Bridges uh, less opportune, easy scoring chances to get going. And he kind of relied on the three ball much more than a lot of us would have liked to see given his athleticism, strength, and ability to finish at the rim which we saw his freshman year, which just blew, you know, the whole sports world really, you know, it, it just blew him away. Um, and we completely saw, it, you know, transition of his game uh, from freshman to sophomore year, where it went from being aggressive down low to, you know, kind of just pulling up and shooting threes. And, I, you know, I, if you put the kid in the better position to score and, you know, utilize his strengths, which would be a power forward, as opposed to small forward, I think we wouldn't have seen that Miles Bridges last year as much. He, he's not in those positions to say, hey, kid, take the three ball here, here, here. It would have been him at the four. If I was coaching the team, it would have been Bridges at the four and Jackson at the five. I think that was the lineup that most Michigan State fans were looking for all year. And I think we got it a few times and we succeeded heavily. I mean, you get bridges around the rim, rebounding and tip dunks and all that as opposed to being on the perimeter. I mean, you're really underutilizing his talent, having him 20 feet away from the basket as opposed to right there or mid-range. So very frustrating year last year for Michigan State basketball. And, you know, it even expands to Jerry Jackson Jr. You know, he was a little bit playing out of his shoes or, you know, not, not uh, you know, playing to his size exactly. A little bit soft down there. So his development is nice to see. Here in the NBA, I'm not surprised at all. He's like the perfect body, perfect structure uh, player nowadays. I compare him to Amari Stoudemire in his prime on the Suns. You know, he's got a nice mid range, can expand and shoot the three. You know, plays nice defense, blocks, athletic. Uh, so my comparison is uh, Amari Stoudemire in that regard. So anyway, moving forward onto this year, you know, what am I seeing out of this team this year compared to last? Well, the problem is, is that I'm seeing a lot of the same issues. Um, as uh, Louisville's coach you know, noted in postgame is that Michigan State's Achilles heel, heel over the years has been turnovers, and it still is. I don't know how this is still a problem. Uh, it's really ridiculous, honestly. Ever since I was a kid, Michigan State's, you know, Kalen Lucas days, Keith Appling days, the biggest problem was they wanted to run faster than they could, and the problem is right now in Michigan State basketball is we don't have enough guys on the perimeter – um, or just really period that can take the ball and create a great shot for themselves. So when you're trying to push the ball heavy down the floor, I get you're trying to create easy opportunities. But once it gets passed to the, um, you know, the wing player to push it up the floor, his ability to make a play, we're not seeing it too much. You know, you got McQuaid out there who's for the most part, if he doesn't have a wide open three, he's gonna dribble a couple times and pass back to Winston. You got Langford who mentally he's all over the place you know some games he'll drop 29 other games he'll drop you know four in the first half so it's he's his inconsistency is is a big factor here in Michigan State's success moving forward throughout the year Um, I highlighted him preseason as being the x-factor and needing to be the guy that's the go-to scorer because like I said right now at Michigan State we don't have anyone who can just go out there and get their own basket sure Winston's great shooting and uh, attacking the rim and he can do that, um, you know. Nice pick and roll player, very patient. But you know, if you get a guard, point guard, you know, a little bit bigger than him or a little bit faster. You know, Winston, he's crafty, but he's slow, and it's just the reality of it. And I think you saw that in the Kansas game with their freshman point guard. He was just quicker uh, laterally and could keep up with Winston. So. Um, it, it, the implementation of Foster Lawyer I think is going to be huge as well so Winston gets chances to play off the ball because he's a fantastic three-point shooter no doubt about that um, but really the only playmaker that Michigan State honestly has I mean Langford, he'll come off a curl and shoot a contested jumper I can't tell you the last time I saw him come off a curl and he was wide open I'm not sure what's up with that the down screen maybe isn't firm enough I'm not sure uh, but it just seems like Michigan State's never getting a nice, clean, open look in the half court, unless it's a, you know, offensive rebound kick out for three. Um, to one person who I'm actually not surprised, and another person I highlighted preseason as being extremely important to this team's success is uh, Kyle Arns. Kyle Arns is extremely athletic, can guard multiple positions. You could argue he can play one through four if needed. Um, he his shooting, um, his relent, excuse me, relentlessness. Um, he, you know His um, strength and just drive and He's not just a shooter, he'll, he'll drive and get to the basket Get, get some and ones, fantastic defensive player He's really come up huge here for Michigan State And if it wasn't for him, I'm not sure where this team would be mentally right now Let alone record-wise uh, He's kept us in a few games at least So kudos to Matt, or, uh, Kyle Arns um, Kind of what I believe is you know, Matt McQuaid squared But in my opinion, a little bit better than Matt McQuaid um, So that's nice to see Um, You know, going back to some of the comparisons this year to last year, what I'm seeing, you know, one was the turnovers. That still hasn't been fixed. That's not even dating back to last year. That's dating back as long as I have known Michigan State basketball and able to do analysis on it, which is 10-plus years. Um, So that's obviously the problem. The other problem being in half-court sets, not having the playmakers to make their own shots or even just getting open in general, I think that's a big problem. And then I think the third problem that I'm seeing is that MSU is forcing uh, the ball down to Nick Ward as opposed to just letting the offense flow. And this isn't a knock to Nick Ward. I think he's a pretty good player. I think maybe he, he thinks he's a little bit better than he is, um, you know, going to the NBA, you know, declaring for the NBA draft last year in terms of not hiring an agent and just seeing where he sat. I thought that was a little premature. I think the kid's a good player. Uh, he definitely needs to work on his legs. Uh, he has no bounce. Um, he has no... You know, turn around and spring up and dunk. I mean, his his lower body needs a lot of work uh, when it comes to keeping up with big men that are going to be bigger than him. Like you saw in the Kansas game, first game of the year, Azubuki. I mean, Ward looked like a child out there compared to that. Like mean, he's falling all over the place. He's traveling. He's forcing shots. You know, really just forcing the issue. And it seems like he almost has his own personal agenda or objective, and that's for him to get his stats up so he can be, you know, he can prove that he's supposed to be in the NBA. Well. You know, newsflash for you, Ward, when, when you're, you're forcing the issue like you are, it looks worse than if you were just play within yourself, play within the offense. You know, the ball should be played through Cassius Winsett and Josh Langford, and everyone else should fill in after that. You know, and I think Michigan State has to do a better job of passing it down to Ward, him expecting that double team, and he has got better at passing out of the double team this year, but it's not an effective pass. It's a pass to get him out of trouble. It's not a pass where... We pass it down to Ward. We're expecting a double team. You have guys on the perimeter who are kind of doing maybe a weave to get themselves separated from their defender so that when Ward does kick out, he has someone who has a you know opportunity at a good looking shot or can make maybe make one more pass and that extra pass leads to an open shot. What you're seeing now is he's getting doubled, he's passing out, and then Michigan State is playing patty cake on the perimeter. Um and, you know no one really knows what to do once the double team is passed out of. So I think Michigan State's got to stop focusing on Ward um, as being their offensive option. I think it has to be through good guard play, as you see in the NCAA tournaments. Best guard play wins. You had UConn when I was in college, and they won the national title versus Kentucky. I think they were an eight seed, and they had Shabazz Napier and Boatwright, both guys phenomenal guards. I think your guards will take you as far as the championship when it comes to NCAA basketball. And but you you know you want that consistent down. Um you know, down low game, you know, for easy buckets and such. I just don't think you should be forcing the issue and really driving your offense through that. I think that comes as the game progresses where you start hitting those jump shots, you know, you can start feeding down low and then you have Ward who's, you know, playing the in and out game. It'd be nice to see him get doubled and then pass out to Langford and Langford hits a three or makes the extra pass to Winston who shoots a three, or makes the extra pass to Arns, who hits the three in the corner, McQuaid. So I think Michigan State offensively, it's been a struggle here for the last few years. I think it comes down to the coach's execution and what he expects out of his offensive sets. I think they're absolutely garbage. Uh, there's not enough spacing on the floor. Players don't know what to do with the ball when they get it. And I think primarily, I think there needs to be a lineup change. I think that uh, Xavier Tillman is completely underutilized in this offense. Uh, he kind of reminds me of a Draymond Green 2.0, but you know when you only, he just, he's just not playing enough. I know he played a lot in that Louisville game. But you got to get in a ebb and flow, a uh, big man coming off the bench. I think, personally, I think that Xavier Tillman is a better basketball player than Nick Ward. I understand Nick Ward has size, he's got the baby hook, but it seems to only be successful versus guys who are smaller than him um, and just not as, not as good. I mean, and you would expect that. If you're better than their guy, you're better than him. But what makes a good college basketball player separated from a superior you know, excellent NCAA basketball player who makes his way onto the pros and sees himself and the pros be successful is you have to be able to play up to your competition. And so far, what I've seen on Nick Ward in his career is that he can't play up to the competition. He stays where he's at and he gets dominated. Um, So I don't mean to bash on the guy, you know, more than I already have. I just think that if he just lets the game come to him a little bit more naturally, I think it would benefit him in the long run. Um, And I think it would benefit this team overall. Uh, so, I hope to see an adjustment by Izzo uh, when it comes to the offensive sets. Moving on, uh, Matt McQuaid was out last game, second straight game um, when we played Louisville and our overtime loss to them. Really tough loss at Michigan State. You know, we were down pretty much the whole game, but when it came crunch time, uh, I figured the boys would pull it out. Unfortunately, uh, Foster Lawyer and Kenny Goins missed clutch free throws that probably could have, should have won us the game. So that was disappointing to lose the game on free throws like that. I understand the game's a full 40 minutes, so it doesn't come down to one play, but sometimes it does. And sometimes it's just how the, you know, the chips unfold and, you know, the cards unfold, excuse me, and you got to make your free throw shots. And that's why you work on it. So that was extremely disappointing uh, not having McQuaid there. I saw a lot of columnists uh, write about, you know, it shows the importance of McQuaid and it does. I'm not downwriting that. It completely does. I, th- I think that in a game like that, you know, he'd be nice to have out there. I don't think he's putting up one of those 10, 13 point games. You know, maybe he makes a couple shots, you know, is able to handle the ball offensively. But it's I don't think, I think Lawyer did a pretty damn good job out there. I mean, he looks comfortable dribbling the ball. Uh, he makes the right passes. He had that huge uh, uh, layup with about a minute and a half left in the game. So he's clearly not scared. Unfortunately, one of the best free throw shooters in uh, Michigan high school sports history, and he missed a clutch free throw. But, you know, He's put in that situation. He probably never thought he'd be there uh, pregame. And so at the end of the day, it's a good learning experience, and he can get that miss free throw out of the way, and we can move on and move on and forward. Um, going back to the Louisville game again, I saw in the first half, you know, Michigan State, it takes a while for them to get into their flow. Again, I think that comes down to coaching and you know calling the right half-court offensive sets so everyone gets into a nice flow. I'm seeing a lack of that the first 10 minutes of every game so far this season, quite honestly, Uh, with the exception of the Kansas game. I thought they looked spectacular the first three minutes and then just absolutely laid an egg the rest of the game practically. Um, So I saw a lot of us forcing the issue in the Louisville game. I I can't even tell you how many charges they took on us. Um, And it just seemed to be that when one guy drives a lane, we don't have the shooters on the outside that are getting themselves open so that that guy who's driving can kick it out to an open shooter. It seems like guys are just kind of standing around um, so I think there needs to be a higher basketball IQ on this team, or a direction given by coaching of, you know, when you see your guys, you know, Ward slip over to the low block, Tillman come to the high post, Arms inch up from the corner, you know, five steps to the extended elbow, so it's a nice easy pass from one block from the other side of the block out to you, or you know, Winston and Langford maybe weave. I think there just needs to be more focus on what we're exactly doing in a half court set, and I think a lot of people would agree with me on that. Uh, another thing that I wouldn't mind seeing, and I think I can't remember which game it was. it was. A few games ago, maybe it was a Rutgers game. Um, we had Langford out there at point guard. Now, when Winston's in at point guard or Lawyer, and you got Langford playing his normal shooting guard position, you don't see him dribbling much. The guy comes off a screen, maybe pump he's takes a couple dribbles. If it's not there, he passes out. But I noticed in that, um, it might have even been the Louisville game. He uh, he, he was dribble He was playing point guard there for a few minutes. He came, you know, brought the ball up. You know, he. He's a scoring factor, so he's got. He's keeping the defense honest, bringing that ball up right away. Not that Winston doesn't. It's just you know, it's a little bit different look when he got Langford running the show, and I thought he looked good doing it. And I think that it would you know help the offense out tremendously if he could take on more of that role, moving forward. You know, maybe you do what you're seeing in Detroit with the Pistons with Dwayne Casey. He runs kind of a three, you know, three guard offense where currently he's got. You know Ish Smith running point, Reggie at shooting guard, and maybe Langston Galloway at small forward. And I think the, I think the Spartans can utilize that same tactic because I think our guards are pretty good. You got you can you know run Lawyer at point guard, which will help allow free up shots for Winston, help Winston play off the ball because he's the smartest player on our team and he knows what to do without the ball. Uh, you know free him up, put him at shooting guard, and then you know put Josh at, Josh Langford at small forward who can guard you know the two or the three, so it doesn't really hurt you there. Uh, I'd like to see that a little bit more. I think you know, it would be better offensively in terms of having more guys who can dribble and make plays with the ball. Um, I, think it would, I think it would tremendously benefit the team in just in terms of pace and flow and just good passing and just the right players out there. I just see too much stagnant offense at the moment. So I'd like to see Michigan State go to the smaller lineup, the three-guard approach, and then you know, finish it off with. Uh, you, know, you can even go arms at the four, or Tillman, and then Ward. So I'd like to see them improve on that. Uh, that's going to be it for today's episode. Uh, tonight we got Michigan State versus Iowa at six thirty Eastern time, and we got the Pistons and Oklahoma City Thunder as well. at, at seven Eastern time. I'll be doing a little post game analysis on uh, the Spartans and possibly the Pistons as well. It depends on how the games are going and which I watch. Um, but I look forward to you guys tuning in next time. Um, and I guess my prediction for the game tonight, Michigan State and Iowa, always a tough battle for Michigan State. Uh, Iowa seems to be one, that one team that's always kind of like Northwestern is to Michigan State football. Iowa is to Michigan State basketball. You know, Iowa's a good team. They've always been good. Um, for like at least the past 10 years. Last year, they had a little bit of a down year to a lot of people's surprise, but still still a good team. You can't walk into their gym or they can't walk into your gym and you think it's just going to be a cakewalk. I mean, that's a good big Ten team right there, regardless of record. Uh, so predict, prediction, I, I think Michigan State will pull this one out. I think they'll win by about six. Uh, I think they'll score in the mid to low 70s, win, win by about six. Um, and the Pistons tonight, I think the Pistons will also take the win. I think we're playing we're just on a roll right now. Uh Blake, Andre really figuring things out. Reggie's kinda coming into his own and accepting of his role more with Blake being the the go-to guy this year. And uh Galloway and Johnson have just been unbelievable. So I think the Pistons and Spartans will both pull out wins tonight. I hope I'm right. Um and going back to the Michigan State game, I think that, you know, the biggest success. For the game tonight is can we get Ward going effectively and efficiently on offense where it's not forcing it but using him in the right situations and you know smoothly, and then how will Josh Langford respond to his first half crap you could call it versus uh, Louisville and Rutgers where he he wasn't doing much uh, big second half player but we need him. To be scoring the ball consistently, we need about 22 points per game out of this guy. And I don't care if he has to take 22 shots to get it. He's our guy this year. And Winston is always going to be Mr. Consistent. But we need Langford to be our scorer. Uh, so I'm looking forward to you know, Ward effectively, smoothly, uh, patiently being used on offense. And then how is Josh Langford going to be consistently used? And is he going to be consistently effective on the offensive end as well? Uh, one more thing is I think that the perimeter defense needs a lot of work on Michigan State. I think we played pretty well last last week um, in the Rutgers game. They were hitting some crazy shots uh, from the perimeter, and that seems to be a weird theme with Michigan State basketball is to get up these crazy three-pointed times. So at the end of the day, you've just got to clamp down. you got to be on them. So I think our perimeter defense needs to improve, and I look forward to the game tonight, and I hope you guys enjoyed you know this first take on my first episode of Bar Time Anytime. Peace.